Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to the Thrash and Treasure Courtroom, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast where the music is real, the guests are unreal, the rulings are final. And speaking of Aaron... Oh, wait, that's me. And I'm joined, as usual, by the baker who puts the plane in plaintiff because he's Evan, the metal man. How's it going? That was a stretch. Plane in plaintiff. Have you tried having a conversation with you, Evan? I promise you it was not. But anyways, how was your week? Oh, super busy. Oh, I've got so much done. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I'm paving, I'm making stuff, I'm building things. We got plans. Oh, I'm napping at the thought. Excellent. (laughs) I've been editing my butt off and Ark released a new map, which is like the 10th map or something. So I have been playing around with dinosaurs in my spare time, which I don't have much. But anyways, guess what? What? We have another legendary diva in the salon today. And I'm so excited. I bent and snapped my dignity. But I'll cry (laughs) and sail on because this bewitching belter hit the dance club speakers early in her career, but not as a lonely heart. Oh, no. When her stint in (laughs) Geneva, huh, propelled this stunning star into a life in the movies, TV, theatre, as well as being on the radio every other day. To which I saw y'all hit your dance floors with no remorse, only applause, but of course the awe of Oren Moore saw divorce from Paul Moore and morphed into a Broadway tour de force with all sorts of saucy performances. If you mustard saw this awesome ingenue kick up her Sunday shoes in Footloose, or did you ever catch up with her infectious Saturday night fever where nobody jigs better than Annette, or Mayo you were hooked on her kitty good Luca in Brian Adams's Pretty Woman, or perhaps you watched as barbecue this cutie to cut a cuticle and a rug in today's chosen accusical where oh my god oh my god you guys she was nominated for like all the awards so let the record show your honor that everything our sweet chili down diva delivers is constantly complimented by contagiously confident condiments that congregate in the conscious long pasta closing curtain but sauce puns aside please help me stir up a huge aussie g'day and a guilty to this criminally gorgeous and insanely talented 90s pop diva who'll sing you to sleep or an up-tempo pop song as we come together right now over joe cocker but only if he buys me dinner first (laughs) just don't talk about love huh tell that to my heart because i don't want to do wrong only the right one and look at me now full-hearted that's all i'll ever be so with two times half a heart with cry with joy ready to love life as me and mrs jones welcome to the torture chamber the star of love janice bright lights big city fascinating rhythm and the great american trailer park musical shout out to evan as well as a trailer full of tv shows films recordings and video games including voicing npcs in max Payne. 2, GTA San Andreas, plus she came out to play with the Warriors, but not before emitting epic barnyard noises. So with a barber here and a hairdresser there, we're legally bound to sort our paws into uproarious applause for this gorgeous singer, dancer, actor, model, recording artist and cabaret star. And forget my name, because this legend has the distinction of being the first mononymous guest to enter our torture chamber, because she's the awesomely awe-inspiring, awfully extraordinary, the one and only Lady Orfe. Yes, Queen. Oh, my God. Welcome to the torture chamber. (laughs) How are you going? Check, please. Wow. This old thing. (laughs) Well, that's never going to be topped ever, 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 ever. You hear that, podcasters? You can all go home now. The position has been filled. So, absolutely. That introduction wins. I'm exhausted listening to it. Yeah. That's all the time we have. It's nice to meet you all. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yep. Now, there is a bit of a time difference here, obviously. But how have you been lately? Obviously, it's been a crazy time, especially in America. It sure has. It's been a bit of a mess. Um, You know, things seem to be kind of finding another, you know, its groove again. You know, we will see. Just kind of going with the flow, getting back to work, getting back to business. I still wear my mask, but I was wearing masks on the subway and airplanes years before the pandemic, just because we sing. You can't get sick. You can't get, you know, you can't have an off day because, yeah, matinees are hard and concerts are even harder. Airplane air conditioning is awful on a singer's voice. Uh, All of it. Anything that's not just happening 
anything that's blowing on you, it's a problem. And people sneezing and coughing and not covering their mouths. So that's an issue. I've always raised my nephew to sneeze into his elbow and it doesn't help that nobody else does. I know. Well, hence why I'm wearing my mask. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, now we're going to start off with a little Aussie lesson because when I had first invited you onto the show, one of the expressions I said was an Australian expression, bloody ripper, bloody unreal. (laughs) Right, so we've got that one. Now, obviously, we know G'day. Now, here's another one for you. Now, see if you can say this in your best Aussie accent. All right. Struth Elsa. Struth Elsa. Struth Elsa. Yep, pretty good. Okay. I'll be back in a jiffy. I'll be back in a jiffy. Very good. Look at me, Kimmy. I'm sure you have to know this one. (laughs) Look at me, Kimmy. Look at my, look yeah. at my, Kimmy. Yeah. Look at my, look at my, Kimmy. <laughs> now you would know this one from a famous commercial. However, the commercial that was shown in America—I don't know if Americans know this—was actually wrong. We do not put shrimp on the Barbie. We would say, "Chuck another snag on the Barbie." Chuck another snag on the Barbie. <laughs> Foster's is Australian for shit. <laughs> Foster's is Australian. For shit. <laughs> Very good. And that way you said Australian, excellent. Nice. Thank you. Because it is Osh, Trey, and Yen. We, d- we don't say Australian. No. We don't say Australian. No. Australian. Okay. All right. No, it's Australian. Australian. Because we yep. come from Australia. Australia, gotcha. mate. Yeah. That's it. Now you are officially Orfei the Honorary Ose. I love it. Okay. Oh, I love it. Jesus. Bit of stupidity first thing in the morning. So anyways, (laughs) on that note, we are going to move on to the metal album because this week Orfei has picked a classic Aussie album. She has picked Dirty Deeds Done With Sheep. Sorry, I was thinking of Evan there. She's picked (laughs) Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by Akadaka as we would call them. Yeah. Oh, my. Okay. Akadaka. Yeah. So, you know, there is actually a version of Done With Sheep. Really? Probably. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yes, there's a comedy song. Oh, that, oh, okay, like a parody. Yeah, of course. Of course there yeah. is. Of yes. Course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. And it did get airplay for a while, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that was big then, you know? That was like, you know, uh, all those parody songs like A Sturgeon. Yep, yep, Weird Al. Remember all that stuff? It was, it was very big for a moment. Yeah, in Australia, we had Chris Franklin, a comedian, did Meredith Brooks's Bitch, but he did it as Bloke. I'm a bloke. <laughs> I'm a yobbo and my best mate's name is Robbo. And that's all I pretty much know. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I love that version. It's excellent. I am so not surprised at all after knowing <laughs> you for a year. Which, by the way, Evan, happy birthday because you started on this show one year ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, happy podcast birthday. Thank you very oh much. My. It was my birthday. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but anyways. You were saying, Orfe, you, you chose this album. Why, why did you choose ACDC? What, it, you, what was your experience with metal? Like, this has just come out of left field. Like, Aaron's always avoided ACDC. First of all, this CD, it's, if you've listened to I've Got Big Balls, it's one of the most ridiculously brilliant pun so you know songs ever and as a kid you don't realize it but i kind of got it as a very young person listening to this song i'm going well this is just brilliant and also you have to remember like getty lee rush bon scott these were some of the best singing voices that you could hear but because it wasn't like under the umbrella of what you would expect to be a great singer i don't think they got the credit that, you know, people should get for being vocal powerhouses. So Bon Scott was a vocal powerhouse, Getty Lee. Like that was what attracted me to those types of bands because the lead singers were always these monster singers with these incredible multi-octave ranges. Was metal my go-to? No, but the cleverness of the lyrics, particularly with this CD with this album. It was, you know, I had a cassette at the time. It just, you know, I've got big balls and they're dirty big balls. And, you know, it was such a double entendre. It was the best double entendre song. Not so much a pun, obviously, I'm, I'm incorrect, but the double entendre was phenomenal, you know? So it just appealed to me because you're like, wow, listen to where this guy's voice is going. It's in the stratosphere. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
So yeah. that's really what it was. And it was a very, very big album when I was a young, young youngster. So like, you know, it, it becomes kind of informative and you never forget it because you'd have to kind of know all the words. You weren't cool if you didn't know the words, but that was for anything. That was from, you know, ACDC, Akadaka to, you know, all the other uh, albums we listened to. That was like the thing, like you better know all the lyrics to Rapper's Delight too. You know what I'm saying? That was the thing. You had to know the words. That was the challenge. But he also could sing his face off. Hell yes. Nice. So yeah, this week you've you've made our listen to ACDC. So you have a review for us. Uh, I'll quickly run through this because it's five pages. So Oh my sweet lord. Okay. Well, it's handwritten though. It's handwritten. So it's, uh, okay. it's, a, it's a short. He writes big. That's okay. That's not five pages. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. It's like cue cards. So you, you need a big enough. So because when you're reading out loud here, so stop judging me. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. When I was first given ACDC's Dirty Deeds, I could instantly smell the beer-soaked ashtrays of my youth. <laughs> Not that we were much of an Akadaka family, but living in Melbourne's West, there'd always be the classics playing on the garage tape deck whilst the men fixed a car and got drunk, and the women just got drunk with us teenagers. But apart from that, and seeing the stiff upper lip tour in 2001, plus knowing the big hits... I don't think I've ever had time to sit down and listen to ACDC from AC to DZ. And after 20 listens, it was exactly what I was expecting. Bogan all over. Even without the infamous oi, oi, chanting, the cheeky, sleazy, acidic lyrics along the way ring heavily of exploitation. And I can see why Bon Scott is forever missed as his non-linear vocals toy with these rock and rolling tracks with a cutting playfulness not heard in Brian Johnson's more linear rock vocals, at least from what I can remember. Even when singing about beach balls and globes, Bon Scott's signature tongue is firmly in cheek. But did I enjoy it? I certainly liked the rock and roll feel, the exploitation sound and the cheekiness but apart from Problem Child, I didn't recognize anything beyond the opening track. So how does one get deja vu from an album or songs they've never heard? Why have I heard more people claim to have seen Original Recipe ACDFC live at some random pub back in 75, 76 than the amount of times I've heard these lesser known songs? And why do I keep asking myself questions? This is a review. It's 3 a.m. and I need sleep. Three and a half stars. It's clearly a classic and there are some great tracks. I bet a lot of my friends were conceived to this CD. Ew. Okay, no, three stars. Kidding, three and a half. <laughs> but I am swayable to a four because, quite frankly, I don't want to be deported. So, yeah, there was, again, like with Alice Cooper, I loved the rock and roll feel, that, that uh. Buddy Holly, that dance hall imagining my parents or my nana there's so many questions how have i gone my whole life not knowing half of these songs yes i understand i know i haven't lived under a rock a jailbreak are you honestly telling me you have not heard jailbreak before not enough that it stood out <laughs> there was nothing <laughs> indie covered it I, it was it was everywhere oh my god and and big balls exactly as I hadn't heard. I don't know how I I don't know. I don't was a teenage boy once. How did I not oh. hear that song? Oh my god. How have I gone? This show is weird. <laughs> Ozploitation. This is this is not Ozploitation. They are just Aussie. This is just how they sound. That's part of their whole appeal is they were just dudes in singlets and jeans singing but i don't know this i know exploitation that feel i can you're talking I, about a band that was around before exploitation was a thing possibly well maybe they <laughs> helped start it they were part of the the, the roots of exploitation <gasps> oh. but that, that step that that sound is definitely there and i heard it in skyhooks when we covered them however many weeks ago that was months yeah well they're the same same era very very it was called same city yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I could hear that feeling because that exploitation has a certain feeling to it, like the Alvin Purple movies. And yeah, it's because they're the great Australian rock band. Jesus. Sorry. Like I was going to say, that's half of their appeal. It's all, it's most of their appeal is because that they were, you know, they're not some, they did dress up a little bit to begin with. And you got Angus yeah. Young in the, in the um, schoolboy. 
yeah in the schoolboy outfit but generally it's just dudes in jeans just playing good old-fashioned 12 bar blues and rock and roll it's it, it's the, the audience sees themselves on stage like bon scott was he he was like the first rock star that wasn't a sex symbol he was just an average dude up on stage with a bit of a beer belly but a sick voice but with that voice yeah and yeah. there was yes. there was uh, the the fashion aspect with angus you know what i'm saying there was there was like a convergence of things that had not come around especially in australia so you know australia you know, and then it went global yeah. australia yeah. but it went global you know what i mean it was it was a smash yeah well th- th- this album in particular is dirty deeds is is their first album where they were really a coherent band yeah they hadn't yeah. quite got the shit together but they weren't terrible either and the, the lineup changed didn't change much from here yeah because it was all them on that record the other records apparently they had people step in now this album was actually released in america after bon scott's death and i think that may have something to do with r.i.p rest in rock mm. as a way of mourning him i don't know but it was like five years later it was like 81 mm. really i believe wikipedia said so it must be correct oh well yeah let's not let's not challenge them <laughs> yeah i know right yeah because i know they were touring america and they they did set out to conquer america and then and they know you know they're just the, one of the hardest working bands in the world kiss really yeah. don't have it it's acdc well i would actually say iron maiden is probably the hardest working band but now acdc knew that to, to conquer america in the early 70s you had to get out there and the play you had to play the red states the blue states in the south and the east and everywhere and that's what they did and they just spent years touring 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 and they did release a couple of albums while they were in the US. And I think Let There Be a Rock was one of them in Power Age. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't really until after he died and Back in Black came out that, that that's when they conquered the world. That's why Bon Scott's such a sad story because they were, they were right on the cusp of yeah. you know, international superstars. World domination. Yeah, and Back in Black was what really did fill all the gaps of the rest of the world. And then by then, everyone knew who ACDC was. And it's just a shame he didn't you know, get to see it, I suppose. But he was already, yeah, to it out. He was, it, it's a hard life. It's a very hard life when, it, when it's just nonstop. And yeah, I mean, you're talking 300 dates a year, you know, that's yep. grueling for any anyone. That's how they do it. That's how you do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And they went, right, we're going to go to England and they'll tour it extensively all over Europe. And, right, we're going to go to yeah. America. And they just went around yeah. the world just conquering. And yeah, and they're now, what are they Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like you know, even even Aaron knew a song or two. I've seen them live in concert. <laughs> You've seen them live. I have seen them live in concert twenty one years ago. Obviously, and I haven't been able to see them. Oh, oh, Mister, oh, Aaron knows one song, but I haven't seen it because I live in. Because I live, you live in, in Perth, Perth, but they're a Perth band. Yeah. That's not an excuse this time, mate. <laughs> I know. And they and if you look at the history, they've hardly ever been here. Really? They've only been here a handful of times. I know. They did what every other successful Australian band did. They moved to Melbourne and, well, yeah. and went and got successful. Oh, that's probably how everyone I know has seen them play at yes. some random pub. Because like literally growing up, everyone would be like, oh, I saw Ace Aduso play at Blah Blah Pub in 72. And after a while, after you hear like 20 people tell you the same story exactly the same way, you're like, you're <laughs> full of shit, mate. Look at you. You're an absolute nerd. You were not yeah. sitting in a pub at 20 years old with ACDC. Clearly. I know them. I know them well. I could sing all their famous hits. I. It's just somehow we picked an album that was filled with <laughs> tracks that I don't know. And I. that was an absolute fluke on, on Orfe's behalf. Yep. Because when I read it, and I, sorry, I said this, I thought, I'll probably know a lot of these songs so I can have a bit of fun with this. No. <laughs> terrible terrible you're an australian yeah you'll need you revoke your passport and deport you so you can't come back i think that's how it no, works it only has three years left man it took me 30 years to get that bloody thing you're not revoking it already <laughs> goodness me yeah um what was i gonna say in terms of um bon scott no, he, his vocals you're right he, he is an absolute powerhouse but what i did like is that they are non-linear that there were so many times that there was a surprising turn there was a cheeky sort of or a smugness in in the texture mm. of his voice there was all he played with it he you could tell he was having fun on that record mm-hmm. so it's funny to read again on on the wikipedia the um, monkeys with keyboards that he thought he was going to get fired after that record was um recorded. So oh really? Or 
the record company was going to kick him out of the band. It's a great achievement, something like, as you brought up, Big Balls. Like, you can hear him smiling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and to, to convey, convey that. It just doesn't yeah. happen very often. If, if you break down the lyrics, you're just, if they're hysterical and you know he's in on the joke, which is what's so fantastic about mm. it. You can definitely hear him relishing what he's singing. And that's that's storytelling at its finest as far as like lyrics mm. into, and you don't get that all the time in metal per se. You know what I'm saying? He's really mm. chewing those words and, and giving you a descriptive, you know, through line you're right there with him all the time, which was what was so fascinating about it, which is why I recommended that you know this particular album. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did because the producer on it was Harry Vander and George Young. Now the Easy Beats, they did a song called Friday on My Mind, which is probably touted as the greatest Australian song ever released or the greatest Australian rock song uh, George Young was the guitarist in the Easy Beats who happened to be the older brother of Angus and Malcolm Young. Yeah, the, the pedigree is there in production as well as in, in the music. They also wrote uh, Love is in the Air. Easy Beats wrote Love is in the Air. Vander and Young, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a big hit to have under you. That was another global smash. Yeah, massive hit. So, so like the pedigree is what, that's what I'm saying. Like you can, and you can hear that in the album. Um, that And again, we're, we're back in 76, sort of that era of that classic recordings that the producers were top of their game. And yeah. you can hear it, especially here in, in what is essentially a pub band. Sure unashamedly a pub band that's that's where you get started in the early 70s in the pubs yeah that's mm. where the oi comes from yeah like I said you move to melbourne and you can just you know play three shows a day and and just play 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 and just keep playing yeah. there was just every every pub and club we're, we're looking for bands so yeah whereas these days every music venue seems to be closing in melbourne and my heart breaks oh they're too loud and I built my apartment block right next to your pub that was yeah. there first, and you're too loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens. More and more and more venues. Yep, that's really, really sad because every single venue, I'm pretty certain every single venue that we used to go to as teenagers and young adults is now gone. Even the art house, which was like, the, the it's called the art house, so you can imagine what type of bands would be playing there. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was a great venue, but anyways, um, it looks like a CD ceases to play. We better go to an ad break. All right, it's too early for you, Evan. <laughs> no, that went over my head. ACDC? Yes. It looks like ACDC ceases to play. It stopped playing, so we move on. Oh, my God, fathers. Oh, anyways. <laughs> G'day listeners, Aaron here. Because Evan and I are stuck in Australia, we thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Our next review is MJ the Musical. Now, this show is the perfect example of what a jukebox musical about someone's life should be. You put all their hits in there, you put all their iconic moves in there, and you just make it a fun night out. I've never seen choreography like this. I've never seen a set lighting like this. It truly is the best collaboration between designers that I've ever seen on Broadway. It's also the clearest sound design I've ever heard. This cast is fantastic. Miles Frost, who stars as old Michael, is fantastic as a narrator. He has the voice down. He has the moves down. And also, he doesn't go too far where it seems like he's a Michael Jackson impersonator. He very much is playing it as a character, as Michael Jackson. I don't feel like he's impersonating him, which is really hard to do when you're playing someone who is that famous and iconic and well-known. I would also like to shout out the costumes. Paul Taswell, who also designed the costumes for Hamilton, also the Oscar for West Side Story. He gives you hints of the famous Michael Jackson looks. And of course, some of them are there. Like you have the glove, you have the hat for Billie Jean, but also some of them, he just gives you a little hint of that look. And I really loved that. I thought that was amazing. The new orchestrations for the Michael Jackson music is also fantastic. Now here's the question. 
is this show for tourists or purists? I think this show is for everyone. Anyone can enjoy this show, especially tourists. But if you know Michael Jackson, if you love that music, this is the show for you. And that's MJ the Musical. Anyways, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by fame school graduate turned 90s pop diva turned Broadway royalty, Orfe. Goodness gracious me, I am so excited to have you on my show. Now we're going to move on to the musical because we're going to do Legally Blonde, which you were nominated for a dozen or so awards. So I have to ask, like we have done in the past with our guests, did you want to trip over any of the winners? No, no. I mean, I had a feeling she would win. She kind of had a moment where she stared right at me when she won and said, a lot of people said that that this wasn't going to happen, but something, she looked right at me and was like, but it's not, or something like that it was very jarring. And oh. we all, everybody who was there with me was like, did she just kind of say that to you? And I was like, yes, apparently she did. So, you know, it, it was very interesting. Oh, because I had no idea. If I knew that, like, that's a, that's a joke question. I've asked Oscar nominees. No, no, no. It, it happened. It really did happen. And a lot of sense. I forgot what the sentence before that was, but she would look right at me and was like, but it's not. And it was very strange. So I don't think I hallucinated the moment. I don't do drugs. Yeah, ambition turns people very, very weird sometimes. I, I might be slightly uh, more hyperbolic about it, but I remember even like my husband and my mother who was there at the time, yeah. they both looked at me and said, that was strange. I was like, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, but anyways, we are going to move on to the musical now that we have had an honest, juicy bit of gossip. I love that on this show. So this week, Evan has gone to Harvard with Legally Blonde. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I went and found over two hours to sit down and watch a, a musical for a change. <laughs> like I do every week. But yeah, no, I did. I, I listened. I had a good couple of clean listen throughs. Obviously, we know the film. Everybody knows the film. How can you not? You know, it just, yeah. So that, again, it's easy with the, when the, um, the story's already laid out. Like, you know, it. I didn't, I didn't have to rewatch the film. I don't, I don't think I had to rewatch. Can I just interject there, Evan? Go and watch it after recording this because. And I will argue with anybody on this. Legally Blonde is the only Hollywood film that is actually an Australian film in disguise. When you watch films like the early 90s comedies, stuff like Priscilla, Muriel's Wedding, even you, you go back to the 80s, even things like Mad Max, there's a, a quirkiness to the comedy in it. Hearing that, go watch Legally Blonde and you see the Australiana in it. You see the quirky Australian in it. And I've always said this is an Australian movie just filmed in America with American actors and American money. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can see where you're going there. It's an Australian director, Robert Lekedic. So oh, okay. I'm fairly certain he has put his influences in that film. And that would mm. be Australian cinema, I'm guessing, because it's... It's an Australian film. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of American comedies that I just can't stand just because I, I don't generally connect with American comedy. But, yeah, Legally Blonde, it's, it does has it has kind of held up, I suppose. It, again, I'm not. It's just not my kind of film. Possibly, yeah. And what about the musical? Yeah, the musical. I don't know. This is a weird one. Because, <sighs> well, straight from Oh My God, you guys, like that, get, that keeps getting stuck in my head constantly. Um, I'm making a coffee and, and oh my god gets stuck in my head over and over and over so yeah there's a there's a hook right from the beginning and I was like oh no I hope this isn't another Mean Girls you know because well, I loved Mean Girls but Mean Girls was very uh, like the same genre all the way through like all the songs you know were, you could kind of hear that they were all written by the same person obviously they were but you know but no it, it doesn't it this this crosses a heap of different genres there's there's gospel in there there's rap there's hip-hop there's oh uh, yeah there's ballads it, it just it does change constantly so that was it was nice i was relieved that it wasn't just oh my god you guys for two and a half hours right. yeah chip on my shoulder i really love that's a great little duet so you're talking about Bend and Snap. I didn't really notice Bend and Snap as a song. It wasn't until after I watched the, the pro shot and I want to <laughs> realise what they were on about. You know what I mean? It stands yeah. out if you're watching it, not if you're listening to it. Well, it's a bit of a dance number, yeah. Yep. I liked Blood and the Water for some reason. 
don't know. It just it's catchy again. Uh, but yeah, of course. And then Island just pops out of nowhere. Now, watching the pro shot, that it just changes the whole the whole feel of the musical. You, you whoops, I just hit my mic. You again. You're just cruising <laughs> along. You're just cruising along um, with you know this legally blondish stuff. And I don't. I, I get maybe I should have watched the movie again. That I don't don't remember that character. She had the dog. No. Oh yes. I, that's right. I'm watching the pro oh, shot and I'm going, goodness. oh my God, they you had, guys do. She was the iconic character in the she'll be film. <laughs> she'll forever be Stifler's mum. No. Jennifer Coolidge is legendary. I am so offended right now. And is there a photo of me on that microphone? Because you just hit it twice. <laughs> well, I'm watching the pro shot and I'm going, oh my God, you get to cuddle a bulldog six days a week. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You get to cuddle that dog. And get paid for it every day. Oh, that is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love bulldogs. I would never have one, but I love the look of them. They're too slobbery. They're they're shocking. But, yeah, I was going to say, you you come out and and sing Island and change the whole, not direction, change, change the whole feel of musical. It just kind of, they put the whole thing on pause and then let you do that. Blew me away. Aww. It really did. There it is. That's how you <laughs> sing. You better edit that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. To go off of what you were saying before that, I never know what is in the mind of composers when they compose for a character. I think that with regards to a musical like Legally Blonde that was, you know, two and a half hours long and it was literally on 11 the entire time, <laughs> I think they deliberately wanted a moment for the audience to breathe and be really drawn in. And I do believe that they trusted me to be that moment because it's a very big change, as you said. So I think it has to be uh, a singer that can really draw in an audience where it wasn't, you know, Ireland wasn't very much like anything else in the musical. Mm. Neither was Blood in the Water. You know what I'm saying? They were very different. (laughs) They're the ones that I liked. Those are the ones that you like, but what, you know, by the way, Blood in the Water was a song that Larry O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin very much loved. So it's a very personal matter of taste, but they are moments in the show where you actually have to lean in as opposed to sit back and have your hair blown back. Yep. Those are the times, especially with Ireland, where you have to actually lean in and pay attention and really listen to the lyrics and really listen to the story. So I think it was a they were important moments in a musical mm. that's again so big and boisterous you need those moments in order to balance it out yeah mm. yeah it was literally like they just put the whole thing on pause and just let or do this well thank you yeah because yeah, it's an iconic character that's why and if they didn't give her a big number like that at, at least one just the reprise as well we would be complaining well look i complained because the reprise wasn't there i had to ask for that i begged for that it was an argument for quite some time mm. you know i think they finally saw my take on it I'm sure that I won't get the credit for that (laughs) all these years later, but that was something I very, very uh, fervently fought for when we were still doing previews out of town in San Francisco. I was very adamant about them putting that in and those big notes at the end because it wasn't like that. The reprise was there, but it did not end with the big, the country off. It was not that. And I was like, listen, you've got to give me a big rousing musical ending for this. Otherwise the audience is going to revolt and stomp out of the theater. (laughs) So, you know, we finally came to an agreement. Thank God we did. It's become its own icon, that song and that reprise and that whole like moment. So thank God they listened. Well, they very reluctantly listened to me, but it happened. So sometimes the actor knows what they're doing, especially a musician actor uh, who comes from the music business. Sometimes we know what we're talking about. And it's not just to show off. It actually is to further and best further the story. And the character. Yeah, I was going to say the character is, you know, you're the one inhabiting the character. So you take that education and your development of. Absolutely. But I wasn't in any of the workshops. I didn't get to develop anything at all. Oh, wow. They, yeah, they didn't want you, did they originally from. um... They didn't want me at all. And I was never a part of any of the workshops. And I was uh, Michael, again, Michael Rupert, who did Blood in the Water and myself, 
we were the last two people hired. (laughs) We had never done any of the workshops. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. And I, I, it's ironic that you would like those songs. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they're they're the ones that stand out through the whole thing. It reminds me the producers a lot for some reason. Right. Really? Yes. The way, the way it's put together, like not in terms of the, you know, the story or the people in it, the way the music's written reminds me of the producers. Yeah. And then, and now I want to know about the dog. I, I'm seriously <laughs> like, it was it the same dog through the whole run. Chloe, who played Rufus, she was the one actor in the show that never, ever missed a performance in the entire run of the show. <laughs> From rehearsal to San Francisco to Broadway, she had the most stellar attendance record of any human or canine in the show. Nice. Yeah. And she was sweet. And she was not a slobbery bulldog. She smelled good. Yeah, we made sure of it because I'm very sensitive to smell. And I had to pick her up and, you know, hold her and be with her a lot. So she was lovely. She was absolutely lovely. And she was very petite for a bulldog because, you know, I had to deadlift her eight times a week. Yeah, yeah. And they could, you know. Bulldogs can get up to 20, 30 kilos. Yeah. You know, she was not the kind of bulldog you couldn't pick up. So thankfully I could. And she was lovely. It's one of the best parts of that show were the dogs. You know, the, the chihuahuas like in her arm, most of the, most of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I, I just have a couple of thoughts. When I first heard they were doing Legally Blonde, it was obviously at the time there was that big sort of craze of doing a lot of movie musicals. They're still doing it. Well, I know they're still doing it, yes, and they've been doing it for a while, and (laughs) they've always been adapting things, yes, but in the 2000s especially, with the producers and Hairspray, you know, Billy Elliot, and I'll admit that when I first heard Legally Blonde, I thought, really? (laughs) Yeah, that was most people's first thought. And then I heard the soundtrack and I thought, okay, it's very pop, which doesn't hurt to bring, you know, obviously new genres to Broadway. And then I saw the pro shot and I fell in love because the performances are so infectious. Everyone on stage is clearly having a great time and the music is catchy. The songs, some of the songs are really good and can be taken out and performed on their own. And I tell you what, I've listened over the years, I have listened to this album a lot because it is catchy and, again, infectious and it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously and I like mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. irreverent in some parts with the there right there. And even Blood in the Water, there's a couple of lyrics that you hear and they're like, oh, that's a bit, you know, like you're saying you have just been killed and stuff like that. And you sort of think if, if a teacher was to say that to their student today, it'd be tweeted and people would be complaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's sort of moments yeah. in that you can hear that there is that cheekiness and that irreverence there. They maybe not have pushed the envelope as much as they could have, but we already had producers and hairspray that did push the envelope a little bit more or whatnot and, and other shows that have along the way. So I admit that I am a 37 year old man who loves Legally Blonde, the musical, <laughs> but I am not ashamed to admit it because it is fun. I got news for you. A lot of people love it. So you're, you're in good company and you're oh, good major lots company (laughs) yeah because at the time it there wasn't really screaming audiences in broadway but were in legally blonde oh oh you better believe that yeah and in the pro shot and anyone who listens to this show would know that that would make my eye twitch (laughs) again somehow i don't know that's that's the uh, the infectious quality of this show that they it shouldn't work but it does and that's, I think that's why I love it so much because I, I wasn't expecting, I was hoping, but I love that it's, it's grown. I think with, with the um, advent of TikTok, especially we are, and I say this often, we're so much more famous and popular now than we were when we were actually on Broadway, which is bizarre. Like we're so uh, legally blonde has just become this zeitgeist thing. It's unbelievable. And it never stops. And it grows more and more every, every day, every year. It started kind of, I saw it start to have this groundswell at the very beginning of the pandemic. And now it's just through the roof. It's weird how it happens. Hmm. Because obviously some shows like Rocky Horror and the film, especially like when that came out, bombed and that had to grow over time. Yeah. It certainly was not a 
uh, a bomb when it came out. No, but no, no, I'm not saying it was, but it's grown from that. But it really, it really has this incredible life after the fact, which is so interesting because it's the number one musical. Everybody's like, please make a revival, please bring it back. And every there's like uh, trending moments on TikTok every day. It's such a thing in every junior high, every high school, every college, every sort of everything has done a production of it or will do a production of it or we're about to do a production before the pandemic. So it's really found its it's found its universe bizarrely. I mean, it was very much honestly. And I know the, the movie was so huge, of course. So that's a different entity but the musical really found its audience after the fact so it's interesting that that hasn't really happened in that way you know um cult status is cult status but for a musical to become so huge after the fact is very interesting you know it was ahead of its time i literally ended up watching people reacting to university productions of legally bond what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's been, oh, you could go down a YouTube rabbit hole for that for, for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I think I'll be right. But anyways, <laughs> so a score, Evan, because you haven't been scoring things lately. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. This is one I'm sorry to say. And it's really hard when you put me in front of someone who's actually in That's the show. That's the torture chamber. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to be honest. I like the music more than the show. Did you? Yeah, I love, apart from Ireland and the, and the puppy dogs, um, I, I love me a, bull, a bulldog. You, you've got me. Put a dog in a show and I'll watch I know. It. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the, the music. Yeah, oh, my God, you guys, is such a such an earworm. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's days later. It, that's that's a win already. So I'll give, I'll give the music, let's say, four and a half and the show a three and a half that's actually you made it sound like you're going to give it like a two and i'm like oh god we can't offend our guests no 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 it's not terrible i just like the music more i actually prefer listening to the cast album than watching the show yeah yeah i can see that yeah i'll say that yeah unfortunately it didn't last in melbourne so i never got to see it but it had a pretty good cast i had a daddo i think it was cameron daddo <laughs> anyways it looks like case dismissed and we'll be back after i shampoo my puppy dog <laughs> G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. How can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? 
I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Anyway, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the icon, the diva, the legendary Orfe. Yes, Queen. Yeah. You say you have um, sensitive smell, yet you're on my shitty little show where the jokes stink. <laughs> you poor thing. Oh, God. Anyways, okay, so you are part of a famous duo with your husband, Mr. Carl. So which of these famous duos would you prefer to be? Okay. Archie. Or Jughead. Oh, my God. Oh, Jughead. Yep. The hat's more interesting. Come on. <laughs> yes. I agree. A crown. A queen needs a crown. Fashion. Yes. Yes. Fashion. That's it. Batman or Joker? Joker. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> Buzz or Woody? Oh, that's a good question. I think Buzz. I think Buzz. Yeah. Thelma or Louise? I mean, the outcome's pretty much the same. <laughs> oh, God. That's kind of like it ends the same way. You know, I don't, I, that's. Flip a coin. Can we just do 50-50 on that? Yep. Tuesdays it's Thelma, Wednesdays it's Louise. Yep. Awesome. The captain or Tennille? Tennille. Yep. She could sing her ass off, so. Yep. Millie or Vanilli? Neither. Come on. That's not a good, that didn't end well either. That did not end well either at all. No, it didn't, did it? Gonna say. No. I, I find it astounding that they released an album called The Real Millie Vanilli. Yeah. And it just didn't do it. Didn't do very well. Like no one cared. No, no they didn't. It's just a damn shame. Because image is everything in the music business. That's it. Mm. Or at least was for a long time. That was what it was about. Mm-hmm. Valjean or Javert? There's oh. another ill-fated pair. It, that's also like, uh, what is that? These are my options? Yep. A famous mm. duo. I mean, they've got this pretty homoerotic them too. I'm going to go 50-50 again there. Yep. That's very Thelma Louise also. Yeah. Yep. Adam or Eve? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> How about the snake? Yep. <laughs> so you could really change the course of history there. That's what I'm here for. I'm going to say the snake, the yep. garden, the apple. How about anyone but Adam Murray? <laughs> yep. All right. This isn't a duo, but posh, sporty, ginger, baby, or scary? <sighs> That's a very good question. Yep. I could say not baby, so yep. that I could tell you that we're doing process of elimination. Mm -hmm. I love ginger. I love Jerry. Yes. Yep. All yeah. the way. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Finally, the most illustrious pair. Evan the middleman or Aaron the scatterbrain? That's not a fair question either. So I'm going to say both. Yep. 
I'll, I'll take Tuesdays. I'm not playing favorite. Yep. How's that? That's all right. All right. When you look deep into a mirror and the person staring back at you just isn't you, whose window are you at? I'm going to need more clarification. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? So who, who would be your teen idol, basically, is the question. Who, who, when you're a teenager, who would you have stalked? Which teen pop idol? Whose posters were on your wall? I had no posters on my wall. I didn't. I didn't have that kind of. I was so much more interested in being a, a star myself that I kind of yep. would have <laughs> taken a picture and put myself on the wall. As horrible as that sounds. Um, <laughs> who did I love? I love. You know, I've always, 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 always loved um, the person. I remember. I was just having this conversation with a very dear friend of mine. I was just talking about how as a, as a young teen, a very young teen, we scalped tickets. They were very expensive at the time. And, but, you know, there was a time you could scalp tickets and they would be real. You wouldn't get caught out there and like get a bullshit ticket. I scalped tickets to see Prince for the Love Sexy Tour. And he played for three hours and we were in the second row at Madison Square Garden. So I could see every pour on his face. So I would say that like he was a very big influence on me from a young age, but there are so many. I love David Bowie. I loved everything about the glamour, the voice, the music, everything. I was just obsessed with with him. I was obsessed with Prince. I was obsessed with Shaka Khan. Uh, you know, I was just obsessed with like the great voices and artists. You know, though they come to mind immediately. I'm sure I could give you like I was crazy about Shalimar. Like Shalimar, every song I could sing backwards and forwards. You know, I loved Jody Watley and Howard Hewitt has one of the most phenomenal voices that is unsung in the history of music, you know, in the history of pop uh, R&B music that people don't immediately think about. You know what I mean? But uh, there's, there's so many music was, was the Luther Vandross, you know, I, again, if we're here, I could just keep, they'll just keep coming, but did I have posters on my wall? No, no, <laughs> a lot of sexy men there. Goodness. Sake. Yeah. <laughs> and sexy women. All about the women, all about the divas on this show. Uh, anyways, is there a movie to musical that you hope gets made and who would you want to play? Oh, my God, I've done all of them, haven't I? Um, yep, pretty much. You know, my Andy and I have said for years and years and years, if we could bring one around, it would be Bedazzled with Brendan Fraser. And Elizabeth Hurley. That is what we desperately, deeply would like to bring around and do as a musical. I think that would be, you know, and every, every time I say it, I know some other person's going to do it and we won't be in it because <laughs> I put it out into the universe, but I didn't didn't follow up with it but yeah. that's the one we've been saying for years and years we've said that's what should be brought and done uh, and made into a musical starring us awesome and unsurprisingly i've never heard of it i've never heard of the film oh you must i was trying to decide what one sheet to put up right and i went with juice bigelow because i thought pretty woman i'm like i'm gonna do the male version of pretty woman so i did juice bigelow perfect right but i have the bedazzled one sheet it have you've seen it obviously yeah. right isn't it phenomenal very campy it's very camp you have to see it yeah i insist you see it i i consider myself a movie buff yeah. i love brendan fraser and i've, I've never heard of this it's film the devil well and... it's also a remake with dudley moore it's but that's not as fun as the brendan fraser elizabeth hurley version but it's phenomenal i don't recognize the cover nothing no. Absolutely nothing. I don't know what I was doing in the year 2000, but I wasn't. Your internet just screwed up, but that's all right. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, just throwing it out there, I'd love to see a Curb Your Enthusiasm style show about you and Mr. Carl putting on a disastrous musical. I think that would be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, so that's, that's me putting something out into the universe, but. Now, okay, at this point, essentially the 30-year mark of your career and, and you've done, you know, film, TV, video games, as well as stage, plus a recording career. Nowadays, what challenges you most about fame? I think it's the ebb and flow of it. I think it's the high and low of it. It's like nothing challenges me about it. I, I kind of don't really know a life where I wasn't delusional thinking I was famous or it actually really was a, a thing. So yeah. 
you know, it's kind of like, I've heard other people say this, but I said it first, (laughs) but it's like, I've always been famous. It's just taken some people a little while to get around to that reality. (laughs) So, uh, you know, but there's no challenge to fame other than trying to keep it alive. That's the challenge to stay relevant somehow, to stay interesting, to stay multidimensional. Like, you know, it's hard, you know, because once you have it, you don't want to not have it. Some of it's bad. I've had very bad experiences with it in particular areas and in particular ways. So there is that. But I imagine life can be challenging with not such great people being involved in your life somehow. If you're someone who's not in a career where you would be known, do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, there's no challenge to fame other than to kind of somehow preserve, maintain and continue on with it. On your toes, if you will. I mean, in a sense, I, I again, I'll, I'll probably cut this out. Meeting Chris Sarandon after interviewing Joanna Gleason and hearing how they talk about each other, seeing you and Andy, how you guys operate is such an inspiration, oh. I think, for younger couples out there because there is no pretense. There is no ego. There is just fun and love. And that shows through in everything you guys do. So I'll, I'll cut all oh, that out you. because it's obviously private well, stuff. Well, I appreciate but... that. If you, you can keep, that's a nice thing to keep in. <laughs> all right, okay. Uh, well, would you have any advice for younger couples that might be, both of them might be sort of rising stars or one might be more, one might be doing films and the other one might be doing stage or something. Do you have any advice to keep that ego intact? Oh God. Cause you just can't take it seriously. We're not, we're not curing disease. You know what I'm saying? We're not in the ER saving <laughs> lives. You know what I'm saying? We are. I mean, look, I, and I get it. There's a lot of people who I've heard say, you changed my life. You made me want to be what I am today. You did this for me. I was so in a, in the worst place in my life. And then I saw, you know, whatever musical insert, whatever musical here, and it changed my life and it gave me hope. And so that's great. I think you have to know your place and be very, very cognizant of what it is that you do in the world. And the minute you start to take yourself so seriously, then it just falls apart. And for me, and I don't know that this is how everybody is, but for me, it is more important and delicious to me when Andy is successful than it is for me. That's beautiful. And it's, it's, it, and it's the truth, though. And, and if you've ever seen me on the red carpet with him when he's up for one of the many Tonys he's been up for, I am so much more happy and certainly more relaxed, you know, because then I can just be the person who is most invested in his success and him winning. And it's like, you know, I imagine, look, I'm sure there are many attorneys that are married and at the same firm many doctors that work in the same office, you know, we're not the only ones. I just think we have such an enormous amount of admiration for one another as people and as artists, that the fact that we happen to be married is almost incidental to that. Do you know what I'm saying? I I would, if I, I think the world of him on any given day, so I, I just imagine that whatever he did, I would still just think the world of him. So, but I, again, that I'm very, not very lucky in other things, but I was very lucky in the fact that I found a person that makes the whole experience of living on this planet slightly easier. Tim and the dogs. To comment on that, um, like my parents worked together for a, a fair amount of time, just like in a kitchen, they were literally in a monastery cooking for months same at a factory yeah they're literally working side by side and and married and their advice was to to don't do it like you need a break from each other sometimes (laughs) my parents would say (laughs) the same thing yeah well they did do it for years they were great but it was literally they were always together in the same building well you have to remember we were we're not though that's the thing it's like if if we're not in a show together, you have to remember, if we are not literally in a show together, there have been times where I haven't seen Andy at six, you know, six months at a, at a time. Mm. Like when he did Groundhog Day and went to London, I did not see him for six months. When he did Saturday Night Fever on the road and I didn't, I didn't see him almost for a year. I saw him a week here and there wow. for, you know, an entire year. So in our case, and I have said this before, absence really did make the heart grow fonder because we're not on top of each other. We're not at the factory going to work and coming. So when we do get to do that, it's phenomenal because then we actually get to spend time together. 
Because sometimes it's very much like he's done many shows without me. And I see him when he comes home, he gets up, goes back to rehearsal. It's like, hello, goodbye. And that's it. You know, so it's it, mm. it, again, there's such a healthy amount of time apart that when we're not apart, it's very, it's, it's very much appreciated. But if I was like literally going to work every day side by side, it might get to be a bit much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, moving on. Most common interview question that you're tired of being asked. Uh, what's the origin of your name? Yep. That, that one. <laughs> Sorry, I have not written it down at all. That's literally it. Yep. Awesome. Now, when was the last time you saw a share impersonation so terrible that you wanted to call your lawyer on behalf of the Queen? Oh, God, every day. <laughs> every day? Yeah, I imagine so. Every freaking day. I mean, every day since 19, you know, 22, like every freaking day, yeah. because, you know, that's a big one. And you either, you know, you're either going to be genius at it and uncanny, or it's just going to be just a disaster. Yep, now I, I can imagine. So, so on behalf of my community, I apologize deeply. <laughs> I don't know what is wrong with us. We have many gay idols we could be impersonating over and over again, but we just don't for some reason. I actually do a really good share. I uh, do. Yeah, I do. I do do a good share. I, who else do I do that's really good? But yeah, I can do the singing stuff really uncannily. So there is that. You know, stranger to to hosting, and um, I've been kicking around this idea that there should be awards for swings we should start the swing well a, a lot of us have been kicking around that idea absolutely yeah, yeah so so anyway, i was out in the shed and I, and I knocked up a trophy um which is a little swing on a stand <laughs> there we go so there's our, our mock-up trophy for the swing awards i don't know if we can get a good look at it that's quite lovely it's- so, yeah, we need, I was thinking like, yeah, swing awards for, you know, the, the greatest swings of the year or of all time or whatever, because they just, these people come in and learn, you know, six different parts and possibly play none of them. I started my career as a swing in Footloose. Yeah. I think that's why he's oh. got Footloose on the um, the screen behind. I love it. But a bit of a guillotine vibe. It does have it's a, a little guillotine <laughs> but I think we just have to make the, you know, handles a little more swingy. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be an A-frame, but then you run out of room yeah. and it's supposed to fit on like a... Mantle. But yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. There you go. There's there's our swing awards. I love it. Yeah. How we approach, like, what are you awarding it to somebody or are we going to engrave everyone's names on it? Well, that's only a mock-up. It didn't really turn out as well as I thought it was going to. But it's getting there. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's actually quite rough. I get it. It's getting there. It's just in wood and paint at the moment. When you yeah. finish it, we'll engrave all the names of our guests who made their debut as a swing. There you go. That's a good idea. So I guess the actual question would be, who who would you nominate as, you know, greatest swing of all time? Oh, God, there's too many. It wouldn't fit. It. We'd there's have to have many. a whole. There's so many. I, I listen to some of my dearest friends are swings. That's why there needs to be the swing awards. There we go. You know, yeah. we have to do a whole a whole evening. I, I know some phenomenal yeah. swings. That, there's too many, Evan. There's too many. There's too many. Okay. But it's a really good idea. It is a really good idea. Or a variation would be, you know, swings swings who were, you know, better than the, the roles they were filling in for. Well, you, you can't get away with those. You can't get away with those awards. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know a few of those too. A lot of those, actually. No, we'll do, do it with the guests that come on the show who made their debut as a swing because that'll narrow it down so you're not putting a thousand names on there absolutely that's a good one that's mm. a good one so orfe will be our first there that's there my little go. swing i didn't make yeah. a stand for it i love it all our guests beforehand too bad they miss out <laughs> they don't get their names engraved but anyways you have been an absolute amazing guest it's been incredible honor having you on this show well thank you thank you for having me and listening to classic aussie rock um, i need a little guide Oh, goodness me, Evan, you are a child through and through. Now, where can people find you on the social medias? They can find me on at Orfe on Instagram. Yep. They can find me at official underscore Orfe on Twitter and official underscore Orfe on TikTok. Yeah, awesome. I know Evan yeah. does the TikTok, but I do not. Um, I don't have the I time. D- I do not have a TikTok account. No. I thought you did. Oh, okay. Um, anyways, obviously got your... <laughs> Why would I have a TikTok account? <laughs> For the swings. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. I confused you with somebody else, I guess. 
<laughs> Maybe your brother. I think I confused you with your brother again. Sorry. Yeah, I think Gareth might have a TikTok. Yeah, he did. Um, or does. Uh, and, and also, um, you've got your solo albums out. Um, what do you want from me? Yes. Also, you just released a single just last year of a mashup with Yesterday, Time After Time, and Gaga and Coops's Shallow. Um, so everybody search for Orfe on Spotify, Apple Music, buy the albums as a CD, a physical CD, and then put them aside and then stream the shit out of people's music because then yes. you are continually giving them a stream of revenue, not just once with a CD. It'd be awesome. Yes, because then I can make more music for you. Yes, yeah. that's it. That's the whole point. I love that song. Um. Were you, was it Sing Me to Sleep? I'm not sure what it's actually the title is. Oh, Sing You to Sleep from the, uh, I said, yeah, I'll Sing You to Sleep. Yes, that's a yeah. good song. I agree. I didn't write it so I can say I'm, that. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. No, I love that. That really stood out. I, I was listening to all your back catalog. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Thank that, you. That one, that one sort of hits you in the thank feels, you, you know, when a, when a song can make you feel something, that, yeah, that's a win. Thank you. Yeah, because you are pretty cold. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, generally. It's generally. Sorry. Anyways, that's it from us. A huge thank you to Orfe for joining us. That was such a thrill and an open invitation to Mr. Carl. Of course, we would love to have him on to talk about his hair metal days. Also, a huge thank you to Orfe's assistant for helping sort that out. So thank you very much, Karen. I will, of course, email you and thank you there so you can find us on the social medias at thrush and treasure on twitter at thrush and treasure podcast on instagram at blooming theatricals i believe on youtube where you can see some of the episodes which just has the episode title screen because i'm not going on video for this show i'm an absolute mess when i make this show as all my guests find out which is part of the hilarity anyways See you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I did listen to that.